Good evening, good to be with you tonight. Some of you ask, was Don gone? No, he's sitting right here. It's just uh, my turn to preach, I suppose, and I uh, appreciate you being here. Hopefully we will discuss something that will be of benefit. I want you to think about, just for a moment, think about a sign. I like to collect signs, and I know some of the rest of you do. Just think about a sign, and when you see that sign, it puts you in mind of, of maybe certain things. If you saw these two golden arches, I don't have to put what it is up there, do I? You know what it is. You know exactly what it is. You know where it is. You know why all the things that goes along with uh, the restaurant that those golden arches represent. If I put this picture up here now, I, I'm not real good with all of those, but I think probably most people would know what those things mean. If you see the little green lady up there on top, I hate coffee, want nothing to do with it, but you know that has to do with coffee, right? You know that that's a place you go and you buy something that's way overpriced for what it is. My daughter does that a lot, and I pay for it, so I buy expensive coffee. Uh, but you understand what those things are. A MasterCard, the little swoosh, that's uh, talking about shoes. You can buy all kinds of shoes. You can buy gas if you see the shell. And Target, again, I think Target should be outlawed too. It's where you ladies spend a lot of money. But all those things, you just see a picture of something, and it puts you in mind of something. Well, I want us to think about something else that a, a picture, a visual may do. Back in the war, maybe a lot of you have seen this picture of the soldiers raising the flag at Iwo Jima. And actually, they did this twice, and I read all about it this afternoon. The first time they did it, they went up and they raised the flag, and it was small. And, and when our soldiers would see the flag, they would all cheer, and they would press on and want to fight. But they went up a second time and raised a bigger flag so more of the soldiers could see it, and they would be more motivated to do what it is that they were there to do within that war. So you see, when we see things that are put up before us, it puts us in mind of, of what those things represent, and sometimes it even motivates us to do things that maybe normally we wouldn't do. So tonight, I, I want to talk about a cross. I want to talk about Jesus. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. In other words, if I'm lifted up, and I understand this is talking about his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, all those things, if that were going to happen, he were going to draw people unto him. But I'm going to tell you today, he is still lifted up and is still striving to draw men unto him through his word, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. He still wants people to be like him. Tonight, my lesson title will be God's Banner. I appreciate Peyton reading the, the scripture tonight from Isaiah chapter 11. And if you want to be turning, that's where we're going to spend uh, all of our time tonight. Isaiah 11, the first 10 verses. We're going to talk about Jesus. I found this picture in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. The Bible says Moses and the people there, they defeated the Amalekites. And once they defeated those people, they built an altar there, and they named that altar, the Lord is my banner. And again, it was a reminder of what God had done for them and what God could do for them. Jesus himself is compared to the brazen serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness, and he says as much in John chapter 3, and he says, I'm just like that brazen serpent. I'm lifted up that the people can see and they know what it is they need to do. 
In Isaiah chapter 11, it is prophesied that Jesus is indeed the banner to God's people. He is the thing that we should see and we should know what he represents. When we see a picture of Jesus painted in the Word of God, we know what he represents. We know what he stands for. We should, just like that flag, we should know that that he motivates us to strive to do the things that he would have us to do. And I want us to see him for that tonight. You know, when we get to Isaiah chapter 11, I want us to see that that Isaiah is painting a picture through prophecy of, of Jesus. And he's going to paint, picture, uh, paint a picture of all the attributes or several of the attributes that he has, that he possessed. And I believe that each one of us should seek to strive to imitate those different attributes. Strive to be like him. Let's go and, and let's go to the book of Isaiah and let's see just a little bit of what's going on. Before you get into chapter 11, the last verse of chapter 10 tells us something. It tells us, and, and what this is doing is talking about it, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. And God used those Assyrians to accomplish his purpose, but yet the Bible says at verse 34 that God is going to cut them down like one of the cedars in Lebanon. And God uses that for a very specific purpose, and I promise this will make more sense as we get into chapter 11. But God says, I'm going to cut down Assyria like a cedar. Well, I put this up here, and you guys, I know a lot about trees, but I'm sure a lot of you guys, that's not your business. But if you cut down a cedar tree, another cedar tree doesn't sprout out of the roots. In fact, you have to plant a cone in the ground, and it may take a long time for these cedars of Lebanon to even come back, but will, they will never sprout back out of the roots. You see, people ask me all the time, I'm a logger, and they say, well, when you cut all these trees, do you plant them back? I don't have to plant them back. They sprout right back up out of the ground, out of the roots. Now, cedars don't do this. So God used cedars here for a very particular reason. He says once the nation of Assyria has been cut down, they're not going to sprout back. They're not going to come back. But you open chapter 11, and you begin to read and someone else is described here as sprouting from the roots of someone. You see, they, the Bible makes a comparison. Assyria's cut down and they're never going to be back, but yet God's people are going to be cut down. And they're going to be brought very, very low. But listen, God says, there's going to be something come out of the roots. And the thing that comes out of the root is going to be the thing that you need the absolute most. Let's go and let's read. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. There's going to be a rod from the stem of Jesse, and his branch shall grow out of his roots. If you go over and you begin to read, and, and you understand the lineage of Jesus, you understand that Jesus was a direct descendant from Jesse. And all of that lineage comes back through. And even though that lineage was brought very low, it was far different than the Assyrians. The Assyrians were cut off and they would never sprout again, even though God's people seemingly were cut off. Yet God always, always had a plan. God always had everything under control through all of that. And we can see that he always planned for Jesus to come through that lineage. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation a couple different times that Jesus is the root of David. 
David being the son of, of Jesse. He goes on to say again, red letter in Revelation 22, verse 16, I am the root and the offspring of David. Again, we see that what Isaiah prophesied is exactly right. It all came to pass, and it's true, and you say, okay. But here's what I want us to see. I want us to see what made Jesus so special. I want us to understand some things about him and things that, that we should seek to imitate in our lives. You see, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be ye followers of God as, as dear children or, or be imitators of God as, as a child imitates their parents and most certainly we should imitate Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We're to strive to do the things that he did. So I think it's important that we understand more about Jesus. I don't think we could ever learn enough. I want us to see that God has lifted him up for us to imitate. He is our banner indeed. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, when, when Jesus went down into the water and he was baptized by John and he came up out of the water, what happened? The Spirit of God descended upon him, didn't it? And the Bible says the Spirit remained upon him. The Spirit remained upon him. It did not leave. It, it never left. It stayed there through the rest of his time upon this earth. In fact, the Bible says in John 3, verse 34, the Spirit was given unto him without measure. He wasn't holding back by anything. So he had the full measure of the Holy Spirit. He, all of these things that we're talking about, he could do, and we can never measure up to, but yet we should strive to measure up to those things. And what are those things? The Spirit's work upon him. We see first and foremost, it was the Spirit of the Lord. Lord is in all capitals, so it means the Spirit of Jehovah. Jehovah, the, the mighty one here. And, and we know that his Spirit is directly from God. It was a spirit that brought wisdom. Most definitely did Jesus have wisdom. He had a skillful use of the knowledge that he possessed. And he needed wisdom. He was faced with dilemma after dilemma. So many people would try to trap him and trick him and, and whatever it is that they could do to, to get him in a mess, but yet he always had wisdom. He had understanding. He had good judgment that resulted from the wisdom that he possessed. He also, he had counsel. He was good at giving counsel. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, Behold unto us, a, a son is born, a child is given, and he's going to have some different names, right? He's going to be the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's going to be the mighty God. A lot of different things, but one of those things was he's going to counsel us. His name is going to be counsel. Most definitely could he do that, and he did do that. He had a spirit of might. He had an ability to make things happen. He was always working hard to make things happen. He wasn't timid. He had knowledge, the spirit of knowledge. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, the Word of God, it's a, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He had knowledge of, of, of us. He had knowledge of, of everything about us, everything about God, because he was a man come from God. 
Also, the Bible says he had a spirit of fear. Deep reverence and respect for the one that he came from. Well, what about us? What if we seek to imitate those things? Can the Spirit of God rest upon us today? Well, not in the same way that it did Jesus, because you see, the Spirit works in a different way today. The Spirit today works through the book that you've got in your lap. The Word of God is given through inspiration. So the Bible that you've got in your lap is the way the Spirit works today. Can the Spirit still rest within us through the Word of God? I believe absolutely so. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says the seed in the parable is the Word of God that Jesus spoke about the sower going forth to sow seed. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God does not sin. Why does he not sin? Because the Bible says, Because the seed remaineth in him. Seed remaineth in him. He's not a person that walks in a sinful lifestyle. In fact, he's a person that walks in the light and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses him. But I want us to notice something. Once the Spirit of God in a miraculous sense fell upon Jesus, it remained upon him. It didn't leave. What about when the Word of God comes in contact with our heart? It should never leave us. It should remain with us for all of our days. What about as a Christian, do we need wisdom? Absolutely, we need wisdom. Where do we get it? Well, James says that we ask of God and He'll give it to us. Where else can we get it? We can open this book in front of us and we can gain wisdom. We can gain understanding the way to to make better judgment calls on things. We can learn to give counsel through the Word of God and all of the, the knowledge, the advice, the wisdom, all the things that it gives. We can learn that we are to be a people of might. God's not given us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, right? Jesus was not a timid person, and as a Christian, we should not be timid people. So you see, all of these things can still fall upon us. Knowledge, we get knowledge through the Word of God. We let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom, Colossians 3.16. And most definitely, we should have a spirit of fear within us. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. All of those things, we should have a deep, reverence and respect for God and we learn that through the banner that is standing before us and that is Jesus what about the way Jesus dealt with people let's go to verse three through five it says his delight is in the fear of the Lord he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Oh, what life would be like if we were more like Jesus. Think about that just a second. The Bible says his delight is the fear of the Lord. Do you realize the kind of man or woman that God is looking for, according to Psalms 1 verse 2, is the man whose delight is the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. As a Christian, my delight, your delight, should be upon God. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. He delighted in pleasing God and doing the things that he would have him to do. And you and I, we should seek to imitate that. Notice how he treated people. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Now, Jesus had a particular skill set that you and I don't have. He knows our hearts. I don't know your hearts, do you? But what if I did a better job of not making judgment based on 
solely upon what I see? What if I did a better job in my life in not making a decision solely upon maybe something that I hear? You ever see thing or see something and, and maybe you thought you saw something that really wasn't there? I'm not talking about a ghost or anything like that. I'm talking about you think you see something, you think you are able to make a decision on something and what you saw was not really what you thought you saw. You ever heard something about someone and maybe you, you made a decision in your life based upon what you heard and, and later on you realized that what you heard was, was not right? You see, Jesus looked at people differently than we do. And we need to learn to do that. Especially with each other. You see, all of this in Isaiah chapter 11 is getting us to the place that Jesus is holding up that banner for us and He expects us to live in peace and harmony with each other. And we're about to get to that. But if we could only learn to control our eyes and to control our ears, we sing the kids' song, don't we? Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Little feet where you go. All those different things. You see, Jesus was different than us. By righteousness, He judged the poor and He decided with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus was not like other leaders. A lot of leaders uh, during this time period and even in today's time period, they treat certain people as they are less than them. But Jesus never did that. You see, sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to do that very thing. Sometimes we feel like we are better than other people. Sometimes there is a problem with spiritual elitism. I was asked to go and speak at a place last month, I believe it was, and and I uh, was asked to talk about the repentance of Peter. Peter was quick to repent. You realize the best thing that ever happened to Peter in his life was he denied the Lord. Some of you say, you're crazy. What do you mean? Peter had a problem. Peter had a problem. He thought he was better than everybody else. He thought he was the best apostle, and everybody would falter but him. Peter needed to be brought down a notch. You see, Peter thought he was better. And sometimes as Christians, we think we're better than other people, but Jesus is not like that. He is a different person. Jesus would associate with anyone and everyone, and He didn't care what their social status was. He didn't care what was in their bank account. He didn't care if they had done bad things in the past. And you see, so many times in our life, we put so many stipulations on who we are willing to accept or not that we push people out. Jesus didn't do that. He never did that. Jesus could use anybody. Jesus loved everyone. Now, he wouldn't wouldn't allow them to stay in their sins. I'm not saying that in any shape, form, or fashion. But Jesus was not a person that looked down upon other people because of maybe what they did or what they didn't have in this life. As far as him striking the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he slayed the wicked. Jesus was powerful in his preaching and his teaching. Jesus was not ashamed to say what God sent him to say. And as a Christian, I need to be like that. I need to never be ashamed of Him and His Word. And I need to be willing to stand up and to speak out on the things that God says that I should do that upon. He says, Righteousness shall be the belt of His loins and faithfulness the belt of His waist. The very center of His being. The whole center of His life was righteousness and faithfulness. Righteousness, according to, we're learning this in Family Bible, Psalm 119, 172, all of God's commands are righteousness. 
So the very center of his being was doing what God would have him to do. The very center of his being was being faithful unto everything that God would have him to do. You and I, the very center of our being, the very center of our lives should be those very things. Doing what God would have us to do, pleasing him. And Sometimes I'm ashamed to say that's not the center of my being. Sometimes that's not the center of my life. Sometimes that's in the back burner. I need to work on that. Then you get to verses 6 through 9. And when you get to verses 6 through 9, you've got some, kind of almost sounds weird. We're going to talk about a lot of different animals. We're going to talk about little kids playing with snakes and sticking their hands in snakes' dens. And and you think, wow, what in the world? And and you read commentaries and people are all over the place. But we're going to take it in its context. We're going to take it for what Isaiah and God through inspiration would have us to understand. He says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And you might think, what in the world is that talking about? And you're going to go and you're going to read a lot of different commentaries, and people are going to say this is going to happen during the premillennial reign. And he's going to bring all the creation and every, every bit of the creation and all these creatures are going to get along. And, and if you think that, you've, you've taken all of this and not allowed it to mean what he would have it to mean. Why would we take this to be literal? Is Jesus really a, a rod and a branch out of a root? Is Jesus, is he really all of these other things that we've used to describe in this prophetic language. Oh, you see, he's using language to try to get forth a message unto us. And the message is there's peace and there's safety in him. You realize in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible describes Christians as people who have fled for refuge and they flee for refuge in Christ. You see, the cities of refuge in your Old Testament Bible were places of safety that people that had committed a crime could flee to, and as long as they were in that city of refuge, they were safe. Do you realize in Him is a place of peace and safety? Do you realize in John chapter 10, verse 16, that Jesus says He's got other sheep? During this time period, it was the only the Jews. But He said, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold, but there's going to come a time I'm going to bring them all together And they're all going to be one. If you're all one, there's peace. There's peace. What about as Christians? Should we have peace and safety in Him? Jesus says everybody's going to know whether or not we are His people by the way we treat each other. But let me ask you something. What causes 95% of the problems within a church? Within people? It's usually personalities, right? Usually personalities. We've got different ones. If we go around the room, we've all got different personalities. We've got different strengths and weaknesses. But yet, I believe that God here 
is prophesying that within his church, within the body of Christ, we should be able to come together regardless of our differences. You see, if you read verse 6 again, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Now, if we were honest, now I'm not going to ask anybody, but do some of you possess, some of us, let's not say you, some of us, are, are our personalities more like a wolf or more like a lamb? You ever considered that? Or some of us are, uh, are we more aggressive? Are we more standoffish? Are we more maybe opinionated and, 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 and maybe sometimes haughty? And are some of us very meek and lowly and would never say anything to anybody? You see, we're different, right? We're different. But even though we are different, can we still be together? See, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. He says in His church, amongst His people, even though we are maybe totally different on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to our personalities, we should still be able to dwell together. A leopard lying down with a young goat. You see, a wolf and a lamb in in the realm of nature, they are mortal enemies, if you will. The wolf wants to kill the lamb. What about the leopard and the young goat? Well, that leopard, he wants to eat the young goat. And they're not going to dwell together. The calf and the young lion, are they going to dwell together? Are they going to be at peace with each other? No. But Jesus says in symbolic language in His church, regardless, regardless of your personality, no matter how strong, no matter how weak, no matter how you know, blunt you may be or how timid you may be, no matter how positive you may be or how negative you may be. If you're in Christ, you're a Christian. And as a Christian, if we want to imitate Him, if we want to be like He would have us to be, we've got to find a way to overcome all of those differences, whatever they may be. Because you see, He is the banner that is hung up before us, and He is the thing that draws us all together. You realize that? I don't know how many people's here tonight, but every person here, you are here for Him. He is the thing that draws us all together as one. And He wants us to understand that. He wants us to see that within His holy mountain, there's peace and there's safety. And you and I, we dwell within His church. And there should always be peace and safety within His church. Last verse, verse 10. It says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. I'm glad that he's the banner. I'm glad the Gentiles seek him because you and I were Gentiles. And I'm glad that he's standing there this very day to be that perfect sinless example of how he wants me to live my life. You know, and you saw all that's Old Testament stuff. Do you realize the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 12, he quoted Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. He quoted it. Why? Because he wanted us to understand that within the church, we need to be more like Jesus. We need to hold him up as our shining example and seek every day to live more like him. Tonight, I want to ask you, I want to ask you, is he your banner?
Is he your banner? Is he the thing that, that motivates you to do the things that, that you are doing for him? Or maybe you're not doing things for him. Maybe tonight you're not even a Christian and you're not even part of him. Tonight you're going to have an opportunity, I suppose. The Lord doesn't come back. We're going to sing an invitation hymn, and if you want to become a New Testament Christian, we would be glad to help you do that today. Most of you are, and you've been one for a long time. But I want us to think about the lesson tonight. I want us to think about all the things that, that the Bible said Jesus did and, and did a good job at. I want us to think about all the things that the Spirit enabled Him to do and the Word can enable us to do even this very day. I, I want us to think about how He treated other people how he made judgment calls and how he made his decisions and, and how he treated maybe those that sometimes we would frown upon and ask ourselves, do we measure up in that? I want us to ask, do we get along regardless of differences in opinion, differences in personalities, or do we allow those conflicts to control us? You see, Jesus says in his holy mountain, those things aren't there. And if you want to be a part, a faithful part of his holy mountain, Tonight, you need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, how am I measuring up? Isaiah chapter 11, those first 10 verses, those are a lot of meat there, and we just barely touched it. But tonight, if there's something that caused you to want to respond, why don't you come while together we stand and sing?